Just as a reminder, the setting for the words that I'll be preaching on today come in the context of God's command to Saul that he does not fulfill. He rejects that word of God, and in judgment, Saul comes to pronounce the Lord's judgment on Saul. I'd like to read just the last phrase of verse 23. Uh, Actually, I'll start in verse 22 to go into the passage I'll preach from today. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. The Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously, and Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. This has been a difficult chapter. Let me just review some of the things that 1 Samuel 15 has brought to our attention. This is God's word. We started by acknowledging that God's command, a command to utterly destroy Amalek. Then we learned what it means when it says that that God regretted setting up Saul as king. It happened early in the chapter, and it comes here at the end of the chapter again. And last, In my last message, we meditated on these words of Samuel, that to obey is better than sacrifice. 
Now we come to this portion, which is difficult as well, because it has, it is so quintessentially Saul in the sense that he expresses a repentance, but it is a repentance that turns out to be characteristic of all of his life, that which has to be called an outward and superficial religion. And it is a very sad turning in Saul's life because it seems as if he has been part of the covenant community. And it raises a pressing question, a question that we would talk about today as apostasy. That's the word that refers to someone who appears to be a believer for all intents and purposes from our perspective, but then turns away from the faith. And we have seen some popular figures today, Christian leaders, pop cultural leaders, individuals that are influential, who reflect back on their upbringing in the Christian life, only to turn away from it. And my guess is that you also know people personally that this has been part of their story. That you know individuals, and maybe you have a son or a daughter who has walked away from the faith, so to speak, and your heart is burning and mourning for them. So we have the question of Saul today, the question of apostasy, and a warning that superficial outward religion will not save you. I want to begin by looking at the history here, looking at, the, at Saul's response to what Samuel says. I reached back and, and read Samuel's pro proclamation to Saul. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And this elicits a response from Saul. And it seems to, be a, 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 seems to be a response of faith, doesn't it? To our ears, you listen to what he says, and he says, forgive me, and he names his sin. Listen to those words again. I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. And as I, I said, this is, this is so like Saul. And it, uh, it, it does rend our hearts because, as I pointed out before, we want something more from Saul. And in this case, it comes the closest because there does seem to be at least an outward expression of repentance. But unfortunately, as we have seen, and as this passage helps us to understand, Saul's words are not genuine words of heartfelt repentance. They were, as some call them, merely superficial repentance. And we have noticed this about Saul before, that he, he seems to say the right things. He seems to go through the motions from an outward perspective, but his heart is not in it. And his religion over and over again proves to be merely an outward show. And we know this 
because God has shown us this. And this is a really important point because in, in, in our lives and in our perspective, we don't know as God knows. And in this passage, we have God unveiling, uh, unveiling Saul's heart. And it is that authoritative judgment of God which leads us to understand all of Saul's life all of this, uh, this appearance of righteousness and piety and repentance that falls short because we know it from God's word. And we need to be careful about this because uh, we don't know God's heart. In the very next chapter, we'll go on to see how Samuel goes and anoints David and David doesn't look to be kingly material, right? Uh, Samuel was going to choose one of his older brothers. And even Saul looked like kingly material. But as God told Samuel, you and man look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And David was the one God chose. David was a man after God's own heart. And in this case, as, as, as kind of the flip side, God speaks about the heart of Saul. And God says, you are rejected. You are rejected. And you are responsible for your own sins. You have rejected my word, but you are rejected. But we do need to be careful about this. That's God speaking. And in our dealings with brothers and sisters, you don't know their hearts. And in the context of repentance, this is a, a, an application that you need to take to heart. Because when a person sins against you and comes to you in repentance, it is so easy for us to begin to weigh their words and to say, you know, I don't think that measures up to true repentance. And we'll begin to try to discern the motives and discern the hearts of those individuals. But that's not your right. That's God's right. And what we do know is God's command that if your brother comes to you, or if your sister comes to you in repentance, and he does so even seven times a day, that you must forgive. That application is an important one for us because in this context, we have God's revelation of Saul's heart. But in our lives, we don't know which leads us to the question, well, why this passage about Saul's superficial repentance? This passage stands as a warning. A warning to those who have many blessings of the covenant community who go through the motions of the Christian faith, but who do not have the substance of it. 
This is what Saul did. And knowing this judgment of God, you can even begin to see some of the the warning lights on the dash flashing, even in these words, these words of repentance from Saul. And I'll just kind of tick them off, uh, not to to delve in deeply. In fact, I'll I'll explain them in, in light of other things so that you would hear that idea that it's not for us to judge. It is God's judgment. But but you have to notice, and, and again, long for something more, that Saul didn't confess his sin until he was caught. And maybe, maybe you children will recognize this. Maybe you've gone through this, that you've done something you know that your mom or your dad has told you not to do, and you hide it. And it's only until they come to you that you finally say, yes, mommy, I did do that. Yes, daddy, I did. Not only that, but when Saul did confess, he seems to excuse his sins. Well, you know, I was in a difficult circumstance here. The people were against me. I feared them and obeyed their voice. There's that blame shifting that Saul has done before. And when Saul confessed his sin, it it appears that he he asked Samuel to forgive him. Did you notice that in in Saul's word? And here again, don't you long for something more? He talks about Samuel and, and, yes, I've offended God's commands, the commands of, of your God. Not my God, your God. And when he confesses, he asks Samuel to forgive him and for Samuel to to show honor to him. And, and there's that, that that longing for something more. And think of just as as a, a counterexample, David's confession of sin that we sing in Psalm 51. David didn't confess his sins till he was caught either, did he? But he did confess. And he confesses genuinely. And he lays his sin out before God and with with tears and with, with an acknowledgement of what he has done to Bathsheba and to Uriah and particularly to his God, he repents. And God forgives. It's very different from Saul's words. And Saul, and, and in Psalm 51, he identifies that it is his God that he has, has sinned against, and he seeks repentance from him, seeks forgiveness from him. And then finally, and I would say this is the most disconcerting thing about Saul's repentance that Saul seems to be more interested in saving face than of a faith-based repentance. He begs Samuel not to disgrace him publicly. Go back with me so that I may worship in front of the elders and the people of Israel. Go back with me. Honor me now, please, before the elders publicly. 
what happens with Saul. This is where we do have God, in a sense, pulling back the curtain and showing us his judgment and his decree against Saul. The kingdom is torn from Saul. When Saul asked Samuel to return to him, he, he, he begs Saul for this. Samuel says, I will not return with you. And he turns around to go back to his home. And in a very dramatic scene, Saul grabs his robe to plead with him again. And as he grabs his robe, it tears. His robe is torn. And it's as if Saul is left there with a piece of that robe in his hands. Samuel turns around to address Saul. The Lord has torn the kingdom from you. The Lord has torn the kingdom from you this day. Samuel effectively pronounced God's judgment and removed Saul from the office of king. He would continue to serve for a period of time until the Lord raised up the next king. There wouldn't be a void and there's some mercy in that, but Saul's reign effectively was over in God's eyes. The next chapter is the anointing of David. Samuel goes on to allude to that next king. Without knowing that he's alluding to David, the kingdom would not only be torn from him, but as Samuel says, it would be given to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And we will find that king that the Lord raises up, David, the the man after God's own heart. Remember that David was still just a man, He wasn't perfect either, but he was a man of faith. And he was a man who trusted in the Lord. It would become a point of conflict for Saul because David rises in the estimation of the people around him. He rises in their hearts and minds, and Saul grows jealous of that. He even tries to kill David, his most trusted general. Samuel pronounces that judgment of the Lord. And his final words to Saul are that the Lord would not change his mind about this judgment. The strength of Israel will not lie and will not relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. We see the Lord on high acting in his royal capacity pronouncing judgment on Saul and on his rebellious disobedience. And then Samuel confirms the unchanging decree of God. He carries out God's command that Saul had failed to, to carry out. He asks for the king of the Amalekites to be brought, King Agag. 
And uh, referring back to that message about the Amalekites, remember that King Agag is not an innocent party in all of this, and Samuel pronounces that. By your sword, you have left many childless. He was personally responsible. The nation of Amalek was responsible for the Lord. They were under God's judgment. And Samuel carries that judgment out by executing King Agag. And in further confirmation, Samuel never again went in his official capacity to visit Saul. The voice of the Lord was removed from Saul that day. There will be some other times when they cross paths, but there is an official withdrawing of that voice of the Lord. And yet, and yet Samuel mourned for Saul. He agonized over the Lord's anointed and for the country. And I love the way Matthew Henry describes this. He says that Samuel thinks of Saul and his rebellion as a very lamentable thing that a man who stood so fair for great things should ruin himself so foolishly. Samuel mourned for the bad state of the country and he mourned for Saul's everlasting state having no hopes of bringing him to repentance. Which leads to the sober warning against apostasy. This does have a narrative, a narrative acting out of the teaching passage of uh, of Hebrews 6. It has that character to it. And the character of Hebrews 6 is, is about that question about those who are part of the covenant community, who enjoy the benefits of that, but then turn away and reject Christ. And what do we say about someone who seems to be a Christian and then falls away? But that's what apostasy means to turn away from the faith. And there are some who would look at Saul and say this is an example of someone who was a genuine believer, who was, who was uh, trusting in Jesus Christ, really, and who, because of his unbelief, loses his salvation. This is a very, very penetrating and uh, and deep question, isn't it? Because it does touch our lives, too. We do know individuals that uh, have turned away from Jesus Christ. So what are we to say about the so-called backslidden Christian? What are we to say about Saul? If you were to follow the path of of those I've just described, you would say, well, Saul was a genuinely believer. He turned away. He lost his salvation. But if you answer that way, that is quite frankly a terrifying answer to a difficult problem. And it is a difficult problem. It's difficult because if you look at Hebrews and you look at Saul's life, there are so many things that seem to describe one who 
has a hold of the means of grace. And in Hebrews chapter 6, the language there makes us stop in our tracks. It speaks of those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the good word of God and the power of the age to come, who have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. And if you think about that, Saul had enjoyed those things. He was a, a member of the covenant people of God, the, the nation of Israel. He was their king anointed by God to serve. He had the privilege of public worship, the means of grace where the mercy of God was dispensed and declared, looking forward to the sacrifice to come of Jesus Christ. He participated in the Old Testament feasts and festivals, like the Passover where God's mighty deliverance was remembered. And it too pointed forward to the spiritual deliverance of Jesus Christ. And he had access to the word of God in the law of Moses, which he was to read as the king. He had access to the word of God through the prophet Samuel. And these words proclaimed the promise of God to send a redeemer. But Samuel never trusted in the power of God to forgive. He heard the word of God, but he did not obey it. He tasted, but he did not receive the heavenly gift. And he, from our perspective, fell away. It is difficult to understand these things. What helps us is to take this passage at Hebrews 6 in the broader context of the word of God and to draw from the clear teachings and passages of scriptures. And there you find the promise of God that if he begins a good work in you, he will never leave that off. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. That means that, that God himself preserves you in faith. He holds on to you so that you persevere in faith to the end. Like David, you still sin. You may still doubt. But by grace, you keep running the race till the end. So what do we make of the apostate? If running the race to the end is, is a measure, a, a good analogy to mark true saving faith, that as one commentator has put it, put it, falling away is the mark of a false faith that does not lead to salvation. Our conclusion about Saul then is that he did not persevere in faith, so to speak, because he never had it in the first place. So let me give three pointed applications to you. The first is to the pretend Christian. I use that 
word carefully and with deep love for all of you. I don't know your heart, but God does. Christianity is more than accumulating a bunch of trivia about the Bible. It's more than an ability to tell me who the kings of Israel were and to answer the catechism questions, to even say salvation is through Jesus alone. Knowledge is something. You have to know who God is and what Jesus has done. You need to know that you are a sinner and that you need Jesus Christ as your Savior. But then knowing you must entrust yourself to Jesus. An outward show of Christianity will not save you. You must trust in Jesus. You must. You must come to him for your salvation. No matter what other people will think about you. No matter about the, uh, pretending to save face. Come to Jesus. He is the only Savior. Do not pretend any other way. Any other way. Don't fool yourself by the outward show. Come to Jesus. Second application to you who are trusting in Christ. As you experience God's many blessings, grow in those blessings. Nurture them in your Christian life. And in the context of this passage, let me focus on repentance. That's one of the, those graces that God gives. It is a mark of the Christian faith. And it's something for you to take and to nurture and to practice and to develop so that it is that you abound in this walk of the Christian life that repents when God convicts you of sin. Don't let those blessings lie there unused. God is merciful, and he does forgive even those who repent only when they are caught. Just like I have done surely over and over again. And he does forgive even as our repentance is mingled with so many halting words and and our heart that is is confused and mixed up, God is faithful to forgive. So practice the fruit of repentance, especially in the context of this passage. And finally, for those of you who are praying for those loved ones that have gone astray, don't stop praying. Never stop praying for them. Samuel had God's judgment of Saul. And even still, he mourned for Saul. God knows the hearts and souls of those that we love. We don't. So that gives us an opportunity and I would even say an invitation 
to pray, to pray earnestly. Pray to God the Father that he would bring back the prodigal son or daughter. Pray to Christ the Son that he would seek and save that which was lost. Pray to the Holy Spirit that he would take away that heart of stone and give a new heart. Pray for that one that has gone astray. The outward motions of religion do not save. They never did and they never will. Pray that you would be warned by Saul. That your faith would be grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, forgive us for just going through the outward motions of superficial religion. We do pray to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and ask that you would give us a genuine living faith. Lord, we know that we're not saved by the purity of our faith. We're only saved by Jesus' perfect obedience, his perfect righteousness given to us. We're saved by the renewal of the Holy Spirit, And so we ask, O God, that our faith would be grounded upon those promises that you have made, that we would be warned by Saul, warned by Hebrews, that outward superficial religion is meaningless and leaves us without a Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's sing Psalm 51 again. We'll take up these words of David and ask individually and corporately that the Lord would not turn his face away from us, that he would renew his spirit in us. This is the grace of repentance, is it not? This is our expression of our faith that comes from a heart renewed by Jesus Christ. Let's sing these full of faith, Psalm 51, Selection D. Please stand to sing.